good morning. Good to see you today. And uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Just excited to be with you and to have, just have you guys back this week. Last week was fun being able to go visit Community Gospel and uh, to swap with Jordan and have him here. Hopefully you had a good time for Father's Day. Uh, but, you know, I love you guys and I'm glad to be back and it's good to be back home. And uh, we're in a series in Proverbs this summer. We're just dipping in and out of Proverbs. Word to the wise. The pr- book of Proverbs is full of wisdom for us. And uh, hopefully you have been reading it and, uh, and memorizing it. And if you miss a day, that's okay. Pick up the next day. Just keep going. See how much you can read this summer. Just whatever the day of the month is, read that proverb, that chapter in Proverbs. And uh, yeah, we're... It's been good just to, to read Proverbs and uh, as we head through the summer this year. But hey, uh, beyond just reading Proverbs, I have another question for you. I'm going to test not just your wisdom, but maybe your knowledge here, especially your knowledge of history. Do you recognize this guy? Do you know who that is? <laughs> I like the honesty. No. This is Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. He was actually the 29th vice president. And then uh, after Warren Harding died, suddenly he became president in 1923. And then in 1924, he was actually elected as president. And uh, Coolidge was famously known to be a man of very few words, of very few words. In fact, his nickname was Silent Cow because he never said anything. His wife, Grace, uh, told the story of a, a lady who sat next to him at a dinner one time. And this young woman uh, leaned over to him and she said, you know, I have a bet with my friend that I can engage you in at least a three-word conversation. Well, Coolidge just sat there. He kept eating. He didn't even look at her, didn't even look up. And he just said, you lose. <laughs> and then he never spoke to her after that. He was a man of, just just famously a man of very, very few words. And you know, we live in a day and age where uh, so many people are so quick to share everything about themselves online, to share not only everything about themselves without thought, but every thought that they have about everything online. And uh, we we could gain from some of the wisdom that Coolidge displayed of, of really guarding his tongue and being careful about what he says. In fact, you know, Proverbs 17 tells us that whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. In fact, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed to be intelligent. (laughs) There's a lot of wisdom in guarding our words and being careful and slow to speak. And you know, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about our speech and the things we say. In fact, there's uh, over 90 verses in Proverbs about our tongue and about our speech. Proverbs speaks more to the things we say and how we say them than it does anything else. More than uh, money, more than sex, more than family and relationships. Proverbs uh, tells us, guard your tongue, watch your mouth, be careful what you say and in how you say it. You know, and uh, there's, one, there's one body of research that says the average American speaks about 700 times a day. You're like, no, not me. Me and Cal, we're tight. I only speak like maybe 300. Okay, take it down to 300. Cut that in half to 150. 
even if it's that low, is there anything else that you do 150 times a day? I doubt it, other than breathe, right? There's not much you do that much. And so uh, our words really matter. You know, the, body, the Bible says to glorify God in your body, and Proverbs is saying that begins with your tongue and with what you say, because friends, our words do matter, and they have power. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about that this morning uh, from uh, multiple places in Proverbs, and even we're going to skip into the New Testament, into the book of James, and uh, talk about our words today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thank you, uh, Jesus, that you have the words of eternal life, that um, even though our words uh, we, we struggle with and our sinfulness, we can turn to you to receive words of life. And there's no one else we would go to. And so we do. We come to you this morning in your word that you teach us and shape us and uh, by your grace change us. Holy Spirit, would, would you speak uh, in and through and to me even as I teach your word and let my words be your own? And would you challenge us today uh, that we might leave uh, changed and more like Jesus and uh, just more conscious of the ways that we use our tongue to bless and to curse. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, words have power. Words have power. In fact, we read this already, Proverbs 18.21, we read during our worship time, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, there might not be any better description of this than the exposition that James gives it in James chapter 3. Jesus' little brother, James. So uh, read with me here um, from James chapter three. And by the way, James is gonna give us uh, three metaphors that describe the power of our words, the power of our tongue, both for, for life and for death. James chapter three starts, verse three begins like this. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Uh, here's a picture of a bit. This is just a bit that you'd put in a horse's mouth and you can kind of see it in his mouth in the background there. It would strap on and go around and uh, you can control the entire horse with that bit. That, that's what's amazing. You can control anything from a small pony to a large thoroughbred with a bit in their mouth. And, and from what I've read, it doesn't really matter how big the bit is itself. It, the, the size of the bit really just depends on the temperament of the horse. If it's a stubborn horse... It's a bigger bit. If it's a more docile horse with a tender mouth, or one with a tender mouth, you can get away with a much smaller bit. And what's amazing is that with that one tiny little piece, you can control an animal that's sometimes over 10 times larger and heavier than you. That's some power, isn't it? Just with that one bit. And uh, that tiny little thing in their mouth, while it's small, it has great, great power. You can lead a horse, you can ride a horse, you can make the horse jump. You can do all kinds of things with that thing. And James says our tongue is like that. It's a small thing, but it, it has a lot of power. And our words have incredible power to them. Uh, verse four then, he gives a second illustration. And um, this one of a ship, you know, if, if you live on a lake, you might relate well to this if you have a boat. Uh, look at the ships also, for they're so large and are driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder 
wherever the will of the pirate, pilot, not well, pirates too, I guess, <laughs> directs, right? Wherever they direct, that little rudder will direct the ship. You know how a rudder works, don't you? You know, it's a small thing in the back of the boat that steers it under the water. That's why a fishing boat or a motor boat, the engine's always attached to the rudder because it, it steers the boat. It's tiny compared to the rest of the boat, but it exerts a ton of power for life or for death. You know, if James was writing this today, maybe he would use the illustration of the, the, the tail wing on an airplane and the way it can guide such a huge vessel. But let me give you one example. This ship is the Bismarck. The Bismarck uh, is an old warship, pretty impressive. It was, uh, it was, it was huge and was one, of, was one of the Nazis' most powerful battleships. Uh, in fact, let me read this to you about the Bismarck. Uh, this is from 1940, by the way. Imagine this technology 70 years ago. Stretching 825 feet, it was the largest battleship in the world. It boasted eight guns that held shells 15 inches across, as well as some five dozen other armaments. The Bismarck's onboard targeting computer was so precise that it blew away the HMS, HMS hood, which had been the pride and joy of Britain's Royal Navy. And it blew it away with a single shot. That'd be like a, 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 a prize fight with two boxers. They step into the ring. It's scheduled to go 15 rounds and ding, 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 boom. And one guy's on the, on the floor, on the mat. I mean, that, that's, that's the power of this ship. It's incredible. And it was devastating to the Royal Navy of Great Britain. In fact, Churchill is on record as saying this. I don't care how you do it. You've got to sink the Bismarck. You have to sink that ship. And, you know, as grand as this ship was, this battleship, it had one small but fatal flaw and fatal weakness, I should say. There was a vulnerable rudder located right beneath its thermal exhaust port. And so during one battle in the darkness of night, May 24th, 1941, the Royal Navy of Great Britain attacked the ship with little success until one torpedo happened to hit that rudder. The boat was severely disabled. They attacked it fiercely and they defeated it. Because after the rudder was hit, the ship just kept going around in circles <laughs> and they took it out. That's a lot of power, isn't it? That, that little rudder was a point of vulnerability that it brought down one of the most powerful battleships in the whole world at the time. You know, sometimes you might feel like your life is going really well. You got a lot of power. Uh, you know, you're doing well financially. Things are just going well for you. And, you know, sky's the limit. Uh, things are great right now. But, you know, you have a vulnerability too. You've got a little rudder right here. Just grab it. Go ahead and grab it. Come on, humor me. Grab it. You know, that little thing is an incredible point of vulnerability for you and for me. And if we're not careful, it'll sink the whole ship. But James gives a third analogy. His third one uh, is a forest fire and really gives more voice again to Proverbs 18 that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Uh, James writes this, he says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. I mean, how great of a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? In verse six, he goes on and he says, and the tongue is a fire, it's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is, is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. You ever set something on fire accidentally? And then you scramble to put it out? Or maybe you set it on fire accidentally and you weren't able to put it out? You ever do that with your mouth? I have. Have you? I mean, it, it's, our, our tongue can, can really set so much aflame. And the writer of Proverbs is right, that, there's, that death and life are in the power the power of death and life, excuse me, are in our tongues and our words. Friends, words have power. They have power to give life or to give death. But to give life, we're, just be honest, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the way our tongues give life today. So it's going to be kind of one of those sermons where it's like, thanks for twisting the knife, Josh. But don't worry, uh, Rock is going to be here in a couple weeks and he's going to speak on the life-giving power of the tongue. Proverbs twelve twenty five says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but Good works, a good word, excuse me, makes him glad. And uh, so we're going to look more at the negative side so that we can identify it and not go down that road. Identify our, that weak rudder underneath our ship and say, whoa, we've got to slow down here and not set the whole forest on fire. Uh, Paul tells us to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So uh, let's go on with this metaphor of the ship. You know, during World War II, there was also a, a campaign um, by the American government and the military. Uh, there, was, there, there was fear that there were so many German spies in the U.S. that if people weren't careful what they said at different times, uh, it could end up just devastating uh, the troops who are in Europe. And so they had this phrase, maybe you know this phrase, loose lips, do you know the rest? Sink ships. That's where it comes from, from World War II. In fact, on the right here uh, is a spread from Time Magazine saying, don't discuss troop movements or ship sailings or war equipment. Keep your mouth shut, <laughs> in other words, is what the government was saying. Because loose lips might sink ships. You know, um, let's just go with that metaphor. Let's keep going with it. I wonder, how could your tongue, maybe your loose lips, sink some ships? The ship of your life, the, the life of someone else, the life of a church? Uh, your tongue has the power of death and life. So uh, what are some ways that our tongues could sink ships? Well, first would be, a real simple one, is lying. Lying. You might be thinking, ah, oh, I know that, Josh. Give me something I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sitting here this morning. Teach me something I don't know. Well, lying might not seem like a big deal to us. It might not bother us much. I mean, because lying is all around us. Advertisers lie to us. They tell you, you know, if you buy this, if you get this, if you have this, your life will be wonderful and amazing. And you realize, no, it's not. I just spent more money and now I get to sell it for less on my garage sale. Uh, kids lie to their parents to stay out of trouble. Parents lie to their kids. 
Husbands and wives lie to each other. Politicians can lie. If they not can lie, they do lie. And then they tell us that, oh, well, that's just the way, that's just the, way the world works. I mean, sometimes you just got to fib a little bit to, to make things work. But is that true? Not according to God's word. You know, lying might not be a big deal to us, but it's repulsive to God. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Uh, you won't see this verse right now, but in Proverbs chapter six, uh, we read uh, that there's six things, no seven, that the Lord hates. And you know what one of those is? Uh, those who lie. The witness who breathes out lies, is what he says. And lying is a big deal because lying actually doesn't reflect our heavenly father, it reflects the enemy. Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies, that he himself is a liar. And so when we lie, we're not imaging our good God, <laughs> we're, we're imaging the deceiver, and the great liar, Satan himself. And lying is evil because it it just breaks true, sincere trust and friendship and community. I mean, true words are what make trust and friendship and relationship possible, aren't they? True words do. Here's that verse again, Proverbs six nineteen that I told you earlier, uh, talking about the things the Lord hates, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. See, see lying actually ends up it does, it sows discord among friends, among marriages, among churches, among brothers. And false words conceal us from one another. They, they cause us to fake life and when, when really there's something else going on in our hearts. And, and lies just, they sow distrust, don't they? And the reality is we've all lied. And I could make you a liar by saying, raise your hand if you've never lied. <laughs> Couldn't I? We've all done it. And often we don't see it as a big deal, but, but let's be reminded in God's eyes, it is a big deal. But do you know, uh, speaking a lie is only half the problem. It's only half the problem. Uh, listening to lies, listening to gossip, uh, just uh, flippantly disregarding some of those things, you know, that's a moral issue too. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse four says, an evildoer listens to, to wicked lips and a liar, now if I could cover this up, if it's a description of a liar, you'd be like, a li and a liar breathes out lies. But look what it says, a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So by listening to lies, God is saying you're in the same camp as the liar themselves. Now that doesn't mean like listening, being lied to, and you don't know you're being lied to, and you innocently believe something uh, because you were deceived by someone, right? I'm not saying that. And that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying if you give ear to the mischievous tongue, give ear to the lies, in other words, listen and soak it in knowing that what you're hearing isn't true, then you're part of the problem. You're just like the liar himself or herself. Just standing there, God's saying, and listening, tolerating evil, shares in the evil. Um, 
And we lie to ourselves then when we say, oh, we're not, it's not a big deal, I'm just listening. But listeners are involved, so be careful what you listen to. Uh, Ray Ortland is a pastor in Nashville, seasoned pastor, who's uh, recently uh, retired and he's still preaching and writing, but a great, great man of God. And he writes this, he says, a person, speaking of this, uh, this verse actually, a person can become a garbage collector. Someone in the group becomes the one to whom disgruntled people, all the disgruntled people go to. And because that person will listen and sympathize and be a shoulder to cry on and a rallying point for complaints and a hero to those with hurt feelings. And that listener then ends up becoming a bigger problem in the group than all the talkers. Isn't that true? You ever seen that? So friends, even just listening to a lie is participating in lying. By the way, do you know how many people it takes to split a church? You might think, oh, half the congregation. Mm, Less than that. You might think maybe a small vocal minority. You might think that. Really, I would argue it's two. One person to start breathing out criticism and lies and another person to gleefully listen to it all. And before you know it, that small spark sets the whole forest ablaze, doesn't it? So lying is dangerous and listening to lies and not confronting them is dangerous. But here's an alternative. When you hear a lie, you hear somebody saying something, you can just stop and say, hold on, I just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be part of this. And uh, maybe, maybe you should go talk to them. Uh, or better yet, if it's like happening in the same room or in the commons or somewhere, you can be like, you know what? In fact, they're, they're right over there. Let, let's go. We'll talk to, I'll talk to them with you. And you're going to find out that person just whoosh, shuts down and out the other direction. <laughs> and it's over like that. You know, the truth is, though, we've all lied. We've all listened to lies and... We've even enjoyed it. But why else would you lie? Why else would you listen to it? There's a certain pleasure in sin, isn't there? But uh, Proverbs tells us, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. <laughs> and even though you may have participated, and we have, not just you, it's me too, we realize in the end that it just, Yeah, it leaves your mouth feeling full of gravel, so to speak. This leads to another way to sink a ship, another form of lying, really, which is just simply gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 18 says, uh, the words of a whisperer, they're like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. Let's admit it. We've loved gossip at different times and sometimes still do. Uh, We love negative information about people, especially our enemies. We might uh, love controversy and find it to be delicious, a tasty morsel. Why else do people spend so much time watching the news (laughs) or browsing Facebook or Twitter? Oftentimes it's the controversial stuff, the negative stuff that draws the audience, why? Because It's delicious, and we love it in our deceptive hearts. 
It's like a delicacy, but what happens is it actually, it goes deep down and it corrupts our hearts. It's like uh, when you're a kid, for us for Easter, we would always get big Easter baskets on the table when we'd wake up Easter morning, right? And uh, usually there was a big chocolate bunny in there and a bunch of candy and different things, maybe some underwear, something like that. (laughs) But all I know is like six-year-old me loved the solid milk chocolate bunny, right? Not like the hollowed out ones, but the solid ones. And if you started eating that, oh, it was delicious going down. And you just, you, you took the whole thing in, right? But then what happened about five minutes later? Oh, it went down into the innermost parts of your body and you, you felt sick. It's the same with gossip. We look at it and we go, oh, that's, and we, we devour it and it corrupts us, doesn't it? It does. You know, in August, uh, another pastor, Craig Clapper, will be here preaching in Proverbs 31. Uh, I'll just be getting back from vacation that day. And he's going to preach uh, from Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, which say this, some other verses as well in 31. Open your mouth. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You know, I wonder, do you speak up? Do you open your mouth when you hear gossip? When uh, someone else gets put down? When they're mischaracterized? Uh, When their arguments are mischaracterized? Or do you just sit and listen in silence and kind of take it in and let it just kind of smack you in the face and go down deep within you? God says, open your mouth. Turn away. In fact, going back to James' analogy, Proverbs backs that up too. Proverbs 26 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there's no whisperer, quarreling ceases. So if we don't listen to the whispering, we don't listen to the gossip, it doesn't get to the point of division, does it? It takes two. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And then, Uh, In this uh, short passage, this short proverb, it actually quotes what we've already read uh, from Proverbs 18. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Uh, Friends, uh, lying, gossip, they sink ships. They destroy lives. In fact, not only this, but they sabotage and destroy. Our words have the power to sabotage and destroy. You know, uh, Have you ever heard of somebody self-sabotaging themselves? A lot of times that begins, uh, not always, but often it begins with unrestrained complaint and grumbling and murmuring. Let's just talk about that complaining piece. That's another way our tongues can sabotage our own lives. Complaining, grumbling. In the Old Testament, we read of the Israelites murmuring. You're like, what's murmuring? Well, it's it's just like what it sounds like. Murmur, 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 murmur. It's just this constant rumble of complaint over and over and over. You know, uh, one of God's most severe disciplines in this entire book is in response to complaining and murmuring and grumbling. Uh, if you read Exodus and Numbers, you'll read about the Israelites who God had rescued from slavery. And they're wandering through the desert and uh, things aren't matching their personal expectations. And so they start complaining. 
They start complaining about uh, the food. They start complaining about their leader, Moses. And ultimately, God says, really, you know what you're complaining about? You're complaining about me. And you're complaining to me. And I hear those complaints. And it got to the point where they, they wouldn't trust God to go into the land that he had promised them, that he was leading them to. And they believed the false reports. And so uh, what happened? God says, fine, if, if you're not going to trust me, if you're just going to keep uh, in your complaint and you're complaining, you're just going to wander. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until they died. Do you know what? Friend, if you find yourself in that, that place where it just life is, is always full of, of complaint and grumbling and murmuring from your heart, let me encourage you, you're, you're sabotaging your, your life. You might feel better about complaining about all the things that you feel are wrong or that the ways you've been wrong, but the only person you're hurting in that moment is you. And you're finding yourself then wandering in the wilderness and you'll be there the rest of your life until you can repent and by the power of God's spirit, give those things up and, and watch your words because your complaint and your grumbling will sabotage you. It will. You know, uh, Paul tells us that godliness is great gain. But that's actually not all that he says. You know what he actually says? He says godliness, writing to Timothy, with contentment is great gain. So when I, when I have enough, when I'm content, even when everything isn't going my way, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, if you're not sure if you're complaining, maybe ask somebody you know. Will Bowen says this, he says, complaining's like bad breath. You always notice it when it comes out of someone else's mouth, but not very often your own. So if you're wondering, are you a complainer? Ask somebody who knows you well. Ask them to challenge you when they find you complaining so that you don't spend your life in the wilderness. Somebody you know who loves you. Loose lips can sink a ship. Lying, gossip, complaint can sabotage. The other thing besides loose lips, a loose cannon can sink a ship too, can't it? A loose cannon can. So how about anger? You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about our anger. And, and now listen, complaining in and of itself, a complaint isn't always a sin, right? But when it becomes a lifestyle of complaint and murmuring and grumbling and discontentment, then yes, it is a sin. In the same way, anger in and of itself isn't sinful. Jesus was angry, rightly so, about some things. But when anger becomes unrestrained in your life, and the pattern of your life and the pattern of your words, it's destructive, it destroys you and it destroys people you love and live with. In fact, I don't, even need, I don't need to say much about anger because Proverbs says a lot. Let's just rapid fire read some of these verses. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who's slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He's better than he who rules, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 21, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. 
A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, Proverbs 25. Proverbs 29, a fool, they give full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And then Proverbs 29, 20, uh, do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. See, our words have power, and anger especially can destroy people, can destroy people we love. So don't be quick to get angry. Be slow. Don't be quick to lash out. Hold your words back. One day, Abraham Lincoln's secretary of war, a guy by the name of Edwin Stanton, came to, came to Lincoln with this letter. He had written it to a major general who had accused him of favoritism. And Stanton read to Lincoln the letter that he wrote, which was just full of sharp retorts. And the president told him, yeah, that's a good letter. In fact, that letter is well-deserved. So Stanton was pretty gratified hearing this from Lincoln. And so he took the letter, starts folding it up and putting it in the envelope. And uh, Lincoln stops and says, whoa, whoa, what, what are you doing with that letter? He goes, well, I'm going to send it. He goes, no, 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 don't send it. Burn it. Throw it in the stove. And Stanton's like, hold on, you just told me this was a well-deserved letter and it was good. I got to send it. And here's what Lincoln said back. He said, yes, I believe he does deserve it. But you don't want to send such a letter as that. Put it in the stove. That's the, that's the way I do when I've written a letter while I'm mad. It's a good letter. And you had a good time writing it and you feel better, don't you? Well, then it's done its good and answered its purpose. Now burn it. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom there, isn't there? To not let our anger run unrestrained because words have power and that anger can destroy. So friends, watch what you say. Watch what you say. Watch your mouth. Words have power, so watch what you say. Be careful, in other words, with your words. Be careful with your words. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about this, but to and about other people. The gossip piece really is about other people, so let's talk about your words to other people. Proverbs 11 says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. You know, a careless word can shape or really misshape someone's reality for years and decades to come. If we took a poll right now, I would imagine everyone in this room, you can quickly remember harsh words, mean things said to you, even back to the point of being a young child. You can remember and you even feel decades later what it, feel, what it, what it felt like. Be careful with your words to other people. Parents, be careful with the nicknames you give to your kids. <laughs> be careful with the, the ways you speak to them. There's a woman who uh, survived Auschwitz that writes about her experience on her way there. She was 15 years old and her brother was eight when they were loaded into the train and sent off. And while they're in the train, she tells this story. She says, uh, we were in the train going to Auschwitz and I looked down and I saw my brother's shoes were missing. 
And I said to him, why are you so stupid? Why can't you keep your things together? She said, you know, like any big sister would, mouth off to her younger brother. But then she says that that was the last thing she ever said to her brother because that was the last time she ever saw him. When they got off the train, they were separated. She survived. He did not and was killed. And so she says, it's, she, she would write that it, it haunted her for the rest of her life. So she made a vow after she came out of Auschwitz and she said, I walked out of Auschwitz into life and I made a vow. And the vow is this, I will never say anything that couldn't stand as the last thing I will ever say. It's a pretty good vow, isn't it? You know, be careful with your words to people because death and life are in the power of your tongue. Be, careful, be sure to build up people around you. Build up your kids. Like I've shared before, when, when I lay Charlie down to bed at night, and even when I leave the house, there's, there's two things I always tell them to the point that he repeats them back to me, probably not totally knowing what they mean, but I tell him, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And he goes, yeah, I love you. Proud of you. <laughs> like, I hope so. I hope I don't blow that one. But I want him to know that, to, to shape him so he knows he's got a heavenly dad who loves him too. So, so friends, go about life. You might just consider uh, making it a goal of yours to always have gracious assumptions about people. Because, you know, to, to criticize people, to, to think and speak harsh words about them, it's, it's natural. It's our natural bent. But, but grace is supernatural, isn't it? So be careful in the words you say to other people. But, you know, um, there's somebody else you need to be careful about saying things to and, and beating up on all the time. It's you. You know, uh, James tells us uh, not to uh, quarrel with one another and not to belittle one another because we're all made in the image of God. But guess who else is made in his image? You are. And I don't know about you, but I... I, I can be my worst critic and I have, can have this ongoing dialogue in my head and I know exactly where to throw the punches where I'm weak. Are you that way? Why am I so harsh to myself when I would never say those words to someone else? We need to be reminded to, to speak kindly to ourselves as well. Because you too and myself, we're, we're made in the image of God. George Whitfield, he was a famous evangelist from the 1700s, and uh, he saw just thousands of people come to Christ through his meetings, but as his ministry grew, he got more and more critics to the point that he would often get letters, and he got one letter from a lady who just ripped him up one side and down the other about something he had said or how he had handled something in, her church, in their church. And so after receiving uh, this attack, he, here, here was his response. He wrote back, he said, I thank you heartily for your letter. And as for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know a lot worse things about myself than you could ever say about me. <laughs> and isn't it true that we use those things often against ourselves? Even things God has forgiven us of? Are you greater than God that you can hold that grudge against yourself when he doesn't hold it anymore? You know, so uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, learn to preach to yourself. 
not just listen to yourself, but, but speak to yourself and speak truth to yourself. Uh, you know, this is a pattern in the Bible too. The, the psalmist David uh, in, in Psalm 42 and 43, 42 and 43 is really probably uh, one psalm, but for whatever reason it was divided at some point into two. Uh, and in Psalm 42, one of the things uh, David starts writing and he just talks about how rough life is for him in that moment. My tears, he said, have been my food day and night. And people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then you get to verse five and he starts talking to himself and preaching good news to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Open God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And you see this pattern of, of David preaching to himself. Uh, we, we see it with others in scripture as well, uh, with, with Jeremiah, with, uh, with, with Deborah. Uh, Deborah in Judges 5.21 says, Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Preach the truth to yourself. Speak truth to yourself. When the enemy throws up accusation and lies to you, counter it. Don't, don't sit there. Those things aren't true. In fact, when, when uh, the enemy breathed lies to Jesus when he was being tempted, what was Jesus' response? Jesus would say, and sometimes there's a little bit of truth in it, so that's why it stings, and Jesus would say, yeah, but God also says this. <laughs> He'd always respond with God's word. Paul Tripp <clears throat> writes this, uh, Paul David Tripp, if you want a good daily devotional, I couldn't recommend one higher than uh, New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. New Morning Mercies, it's outstanding. And in one of uh, his entries, he writes this. So kind of a lengthy uh, thing I'm gonna read here, but I think it's worthwhile. He writes, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. We never stop talking to ourselves. He goes on a little later and says, the things you say to you about you and about God and life are profoundly important because they, they form and shape the way that you then respond to the things God's put on your plate. He says, now this isn't a call to speak affirmations in the mirror or to boost your self-esteem. It's, it's a call to be careful how you think because thoughts have consequences. Your words have consequences. As humans, our hearts are naturally deceptive and our innermost desires are infected with sin, Jeremiah 17. Even though God has saved us, we still wrestle with the flesh. And that means sometimes we're tempted to preach a false gospel to ourselves and believe the lies that we hear from ourselves. Positive self-talk that discounts that reality isn't gonna help us, but truthful self-talk is. That's what it means to keep our hearts with all vigilance. We, we saw that last Sunday, didn't we, from Proverbs 4. We buffer it with the truth. We ground it, we root it, we mold it with truth. So here's, here's this final advice. Soak your thoughts then in scripture. Surround yourself with honest voices. Finally, brothers, like Paul writes, whatever's true in Philippians chapter four, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's commendable, whatever's lovely, what, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I challenge you, friend, read Proverbs with us this summer. 
Let that be the ongoing dialogue in your mind. Maybe not some of the, the harsh words you would speak to and about yourself. But your words have power. So watch your words. Watch what you say to others and about others and to yourself and about yourself. And, and watch it because what it's going to do is it, it will reveal your heart. It'll ultimately reveal your heart. Do you remember uh, we read James 3 early in the message? James chapter 3, he gave us those three examples, the bit and the horse. Now, I have a question. Note on each of these. Is it the bit that controls the horse ultimately? No, ultimately it's the rider who controls it with the bit. Is it the rudder that controls the ship? No. Ultimately, it's the pilot or the pirate, as I said. Is it the spark that burns down the whole forest? No, ultimately, it's the arsonist. Those are all just tools. And and James tells us our tongue is the same way. It's a tool that reveals the heart. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your words are gonna reveal your heart. In fact, James uh, wrapped up that passage with this. He says, with our tongues, we, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brother. So, so my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, James here is talking about our very nature, your, your tongue, what you say, how you say it. My tongue, what I say, how I say it, how I write it, it reveals my heart. And if we find ourselves to be always critical in a season where we're always sarcastic or maybe a season where we're always judgmental, James is saying, think you need to examine your heart because that's really the core. There's life and death and the power of those things in your tongue, but ultimately it's a revelation of what's deeper in your heart. So what does your tongue reveal about your heart? Uh, Part of maturity, of growing in Christ-likeness, is after you become a Christian, you're made new. You get a new life, a new spirit, even a new vocabulary with which you speak, right? But that old sinful self is still there rearing its head, isn't it? And so maturity over time is that when that old self rears its head, it's uh, when I'm more and more mature, I make it more quickly back to the cross and more quickly back to saying, okay, you know what, I messed up, I repent, I turn from that, I apologize to those I need to apologize to, and I move on. And it's that recovery time that reveals our maturity, isn't it? How quickly we run back to the cross. Friend, if you've never run to the cross, you're gonna try with all your might to control your tongue. And you might be successful here and there. But in the end, if you really want change, you need to trust Jesus and go to him. He'll give you a new heart, a new tongue, a new, a new, new life. And for those of us who know him, let's walk closer and closer with him. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, a message like this today, it is. It just kind of, 
It's holding up a big mirror in front of each of us and just showing us the ways that, uh, that we do sin, that we are still in need of your grace more and more every day. Lord, our, our tongues and our words are powerful. They, they contain the power of, of life, uh, but often they contain the power of death. Would you help us to recognize that when when we found ourselves lying or participating in lying and gossip or complaint or uh, when anger has uh, run rampant in our hearts or with our mouths and help us to quickly uh, repent and return to you. To be careful what we say to other people, to be careful what we say to and believe about ourselves. Might we find ourselves just soaking in your word, reading it each day, even from Proverbs this summer. And uh, Lord, you promised to use that to change us and to give us life by the power of your spirit. So I ask in Jesus' name that you do that for us. And Lord, I pray for my friends who've never trusted you. And friend, if that's you, it's so simple. Uh, You can simply confess to Jesus your sin and your need for a savior. And the Bible's clear, if you would believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. If you'd repent of your sin, which simply means to turn from how you've been going about life and to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus, that you will be saved. He'll make you new, he'll give you new life and to help you walk out that new life as you stay close to him. Father, thanks for Jesus, he's our only hope and it's in his name we pray, amen.